We are in a series in the Gospel of John on personalities in John's Gospel, and we pause before going into chapter 5 and pick up another personality in chapter 4. Last Sunday, we had a wonderful look at the woman at the well, and today we take a look at a nobleman who took Jesus at his word. For a background of uh, this truth, Jeremiah 17.7 is helpful. Jeremiah 17.7 says, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. Now that verse says a lot about this whole story. Let me read it to you again. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. Verse 45 of this fourth chapter of John indicates that this nobleman was not present when the Galileans swarmed around Jesus, hearing his words, trying to understand this unique prophet, as he was called by some, teacher, as he was called by others. He did not have a concern for Jesus, this man from Galilee who had just returned from Jerusalem, where many mighty deeds had been done. This nobleman evidently had no desire to join the crowds. He was probably a Herodian, proud, haughty, intolerant. Political power and social position were his chief aims in life. He was enjoying his wealth. He was enjoying his worldly pleasure. He was enjoying his royal flavor and taking advantage of it any way that he could. But then something happened. As it happens in most every life. If you can remember the film, The Hiding Place, the story of Corrie ten Boom, that might help you understand what happened to this nobleman. If you remember the story, Corrie and her family were very happy in their watchmaking business in a Holland town. Christian family. They loved the Lord. And they were well known in the community, fulfilled. Everything was good in the Ten Boom household. But in one day, everything fell in. The bottom dropped out of their whole existence. They were whisked off to prison. The story has been written, the story has been put on film, and most all of you know the outcome of that story. Betsy died in the Ravensbrook prison. Their father also died in another prison. Corey miraculously got out and spread the love of Christ across the world until just recently when she do, too went home to be with the Lord in her 80s. I have viewed that film several times and I would be happy to view it another several times. It's a dynamic film. But what it said to me could be expressed in two words. Get ready. 
our enjoyment of wealth and worldly things may soon change. Get ready. What we count to be most meaningful, most important to us, may be swept away in a day, as was the case with Corey and as was the case with this nobleman in John 4. Follow me through three simple steps, please. First of all, this man was driven to seek Jesus. Probably, he would never have sought out Jesus if his son had not fallen sick. As the little boy grew worse, the nobleman forgot his pride, forgot his reputation, forgot his position, forgot his wealth, and sought out this man from Galilee called Jesus. Only one thing mattered to him now, the well-being of his boy. As he looked down at his son whose life was ebbing away, he saw life slipping from his fingertips, and his heart ached and broke as he looked at his son. Suddenly into his mind comes the information about Jesus and that he healed sick people. And remember that the nobleman is totally an unbeliever at this point. And according to the text, he travels about 25 miles in one day, not in a Cadillac or a Ford or a Chevrolet, but in some way a beast of burden or walking, who knows, but 25 miles in one day to find this prophet called Jesus. It's amazing, isn't it? What can bring us to Jesus? It might be an abortion clinic. It might be being put in jail. It could be any number of things, but he is not willing that any should perish. As I said in the article in the Sacramento Bee yesterday on earthquakes, the very last statement, if we will not hear ministers, if we will not listen to the word, then God has other ways to speak, even if it's an earthquake, because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I suspect I will get some letters this week from folk who will say, what a dastardly thing to say, a minister of the gospel saying that an earthquake is a sign of God's mercy and love, but it is. It is God speaking. He doesn't want us to perish. He wants us to receive his mercy. But if we will not hear his servants, if we will not hear his word, he has other ways to talk to us. In the case of the nobleman, it was through his son. Pat Shaughnessy, a minister of the gospel, was in the Los Angeles airport on August the 6th, 1974, when a bomb went off. He was preparing to leave for some overseas ministry. 
when suddenly he was flying through the airport from a bomb blast. When the smoke had cleared, three people were dead, 35 injured. His first thought was, Pat, you've been blown up and God has allowed it for a purpose. Pat Shaughnessy now preaches on an artificial leg. But Jesus is real to him. I met Pat Shaughnessy, and you can never believe the joy and the positive faith that is in that man. And out of his calamity has come opportunity. Out of his calamity, many have come to know Christ, and he was driven to seek Jesus in a new and living way himself. In his own words, my life is far more effective now than it was before. Well, here comes this nobleman. How did Jesus treat him? Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. How rude. Jesus rebuked him in verse 48. Unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. You see, Jesus knew what was in the heart of this nobleman. The nobleman saw Jesus only as an escape mechanism. Thank God that's not how the story ended, but that's how it began. This man saw Jesus as the way out of his calamity, out of his trouble. Some of you are here like that. When things were a little rough, you said, Jesus, if you'll get me out of this, I'll serve you till I die. I'll attend all the services of the church. I'll witness for you, Lord. I'll pay the tithe, Lord, without any problem at all. I'll give to missions, Lord. If you'll just hear my cry, if you'll save my son, or you'll heal my wife, or heal me, or help me in this business problem, God, I'll serve you 100% the rest of my life. You forgot the promise. You're not serving him 100%. Person after person in this sanctuary today, if we could interview you about how God helped you in a moment of calamity and your promises had been made, would say, I have not followed through like I should. Jesus saw into his heart and he wanted to get deeper into his understanding of who he was and what he could do than what brought him to Jesus. Just a means to see his son spared and given life. So our Lord's rebuke in verse 48 was to bring about a perfect faith in him. God often uses delay. God often uses disappointment to help bring us to higher ground. Friend, don't ever shake your fist in God's face and say, you don't hear me. You don't answer prayer. Why don't you follow through on what you said in your word? 
God uses delay. God uses disappointment. God knows what he's doing. And so he looks at this man and he says to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. It was a test. It was to get him to move up and to see who Jesus truly was. That's the first step in this entire story. The second one is pressing through the rebuke. And how beautifully the story continues. Verse 49, the nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down ere my child die. The rebuke didn't discourage him. Isn't that fabulous? He became even more persistent than he was before. Come! I see him climbing another rung on the ladder. He's stepping up the ladder of faith. He's climbing higher. Sir, come, ere my child die. He implied that he really believed that if Jesus would come to Capernaum, the son would be healed. Amazing when you realize the background of this man. There are other wonderful examples of this persistence in the Bible. One of the great ones is back in 2 Kings chapter 5. It's a story of Naaman the leper. It's a remarkable account of a man who had power and authority like the nobleman in John chapter 4. If you will look at 2 Kings chapter 5, he was commander of the army of the king of Syria. He was great and honorable. He was a mighty man of valor. But verse 2 says, or verse 1 says, he was a leper. But he was a leper. You may be here today looked up to in society, you have position and you have purpose, but there is something to be added. In Naaman's case, he was a leper. I don't know what it would be in your case. There is a but, it seems, in everybody's life. Maybe it's the marriage. Maybe it's the business. Maybe it's physical. But, but, but. And it was this particular facet of Naaman's experience that was going to move him off the scene. The king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, ten changes of clothing. He was going to buy his way into healing. He goes to the king of Israel and he says, what in the world can I do about this? Somebody suggests there's a prophet that knows what to do, so Elisha is found. And Elisha sends a message to Naaman, go and wash seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh shall be restored, you shall be clean. <laughs> Verse 11, Naaman became furious. Why was he furious? Because... He was an important man. He had position. He had power. He had men under him. Dip in Jordan. 
dirty, filthy Jordan? Why, I would have expected that at least the prophet would have come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Do you get the picture? Oh, we're all like that. Why do I have to go to an altar? Why does somebody have to anoint me with oil, mess up my forehead, or lay hands on my coiffured brow? Can't he just wave his hand, a magical touch, and we're all well? We're all like Naaman, but God is doing a work in us, see? He knows what we need. Are not the Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? I remember crossing over that river in Damascus years ago when I visited that part of the world, and I kind of chuckled at that moment when I thought of Naaman who said, why can't I bathe in this river rather than over in the Jordan? Well, it was a way of bringing him where he needed to be. His servants came near and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? <laughs> That's insight. We're like that too. How much more then when he says to you, Wash and be clean? So finally, in verse number 14, he humbles himself. I wrote humility out on the side of my Bible there by verse 14. So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God. Can you imagine how it must have hurt? First time down, comes up just as white as ever, leprosy. Second time down, the dirty waters of the Jordan running off of him like water off a duck's back. Still leprosy. Three times, four times. I can imagine now the devil is saying, you dummy, get out of there. Why are you doing that? You're a foolish man. Five times, six times. Leprous as snow. But something put Naaman back down under one more time. Seven times. The prophet had said seven times. And when he came up the seventh time, the Bible says he was clean. He was perfectly whole. His leprosy was gone. God working out his purpose in Naaman, God's way, not our way. I also enjoy the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 18 when he sent his servant seven times to look for rain. As he was praying on Mount Carmel, go and look for rain, he came back, sent him again, came back, sent him again, seven times persistence. And the seventh time he said, well, there's a little change. There's a cloud the size of a man's hand out there. And Elijah got all excited. He said, run and tell the king so he can get in his chariot and make his way before the floods come. And the servant's looking at this guy. He's got to be nuts the size of a man's hand, and he's talking about a flood. Well, it's exactly what happened. That one cloud turned into dark, foreboding clouds, and the rains came, and the drought ended. 
In Matthew 15, 22 to 28, there's a story of a Syrophoenician woman who came to Jesus for her daughter, grievously vexed by a devil. A Syrophoenician, not a Jew, not included in the blessings of Israel, not at all. Jesus talked to her in very forceful terms about crumbs from the table being given to dogs. But she said, oh, we're glad to eat the crumbs that fall from the table. And the Lord Jesus said, I've not found so great faith, no, not in all Israel. Go thy way, thy daughter is whole. Tested her, pushed her to the brink, but in so doing, she said, I'll eat the crumbs if that's what's available. I'll take the crumbs, Lord. And he saw her faith and her persistence and healed her daughter. Ephesians 3.20 says that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. We limit an unlimitable God by wanting to do it on our terms, wanting to do it in our way instead of listening to what he has said. I don't want to be baptized because that's embarrassing, getting all wet in front of hundreds of people. Well, he got wet in front of people for you. He went into the Jordan River and was baptized of John as an example for all of us. Are we better than our Lord, better than our Master? We need to say, I will be baptized today. When it comes to healing, we say, well, I want to get this my own way. What we need to say is, I will receive today no matter what. When it comes to salvation, I really want to escape hell. I don't like the idea of going and pun being punished for endless ages for my sins. I'd like to be saved, but I want to come on my own terms, and I want to come in my own way. When we must say, I will believe, and I will be saved today, no matter what it takes and how much it costs. We want to see our loved ones come to Christ, then we must believe and persist until they come into the fold and not give up and not let go. This man said, Sir, come down ere my child die. He was insistent that Jesus do something about his need. We used to use the term quite often, praying through or pressing through. I believe in that term. We need it again today to press through, to move on past the obstacles and, and all of our inhibitions and say, God, whatever it takes, I'm hungry enough, I'm thirsty enough, I hurt enough, I want to see my family saved enough that I will do whatever it takes, Lord. I believe you, and I believe you now. I'm going to ask for a miracle. The need is what drives us to Jesus. Sometimes it's building programs for preachers. Sir, come down ere my child die. 
We've got to have a miracle, Lord. Come, ere my church die. Come, ere my home disintegrate. Come, ere my life fall apart. Come down, Lord. I've got to have you and you alone. You're the one that I need. If your heart's crying out like that today, you're in the right place. You've come to the right place. Press through the rebuke. Thirdly, you've got to allow for Christ's victory. It's the final leg in this whole chain. Go thy way, verse 50 says, thy son liveth. Notice now that Jesus did not go with him. He said, come down ere my child die. Jesus is still not going to be dictated to by this nobleman. He did not go with him. He simply said to him, go thy way, thy son liveth. He did not answer the petition exactly the way the nobleman gave it. Do I need to expound on that in any form? He does not necessarily come to our rescue just the way we petition him because he knows what's best. He has a purpose if we'll just listen and pay attention. He wanted the man to take a step of faith with nothing but Christ's word to stand on. And that's exactly the way he deals with us. You cannot come with reason, sir. You cannot come with reputation, ma'am. You have to come by faith. And faith is taking him and nothing else. Forsaking all, I take him. My definition of faith, F-A-I-T-H. Forsaking all, I take him. Faith is when you don't have anything. And all that this nobleman had was the word Jesus said, go and your son will live. That's all he had. Was it enough? Absolutely, it was enough. Because God's word is eternal. God will never lie. God will never take back a promise. God means what he says if you'll just stand on that word. Never forget that young fellow in a church I pastored, 16 years old. He held his Bible up over his head and he said, God, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is in this book. You said that I could receive power. I hold you to your word. And in a few minutes he was speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave him utterance because he did it God's way. He said, I believe your word and I'm going to take what your word says. And he pressed through. You've got to do that in any area of your life. By faith, go thy way, thy son liveth. You remember the centurion in Matthew 8, 8, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. You see, he saw Jesus in that light. You don't even have to come, Jesus. Just say it, and it'll be done. And he did. But this nobleman needed to take a step of faith, so he said, you go, and it'll happen, even though he said to Jesus, if you will come, my child will live. Jesus said, no, I'm not going to go, but if you go, he'll live. Now look at the second part of verse 50. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He did not wait until he had a feeling that his son was well. He immediately moved toward home. He did not keep asking Jesus to come with him. 
He did not fall on his knees and say, Jesus, you've got to come. It won't happen if you're not there. He believed. He simply took Jesus at his word and started for home. There are many ways to express what faith is. One way may be to envision a miner in a coal shaft, a mine shaft. He has a rope that hangs down through an opening, and he has to get off from a shelf where he's standing, take hold of the rope, swing down the rope in order to get down to where he is needed. Now, he can stand there on that shelf and look at that rope and say, what a nice rope that is. Look at that rope. It is made strong. It is made well. It will hold a man if he'll just take hold of the rope and use it. That's not an expression, however, of faith. That's merely an opinion. That's all it is, just an opinion, an evaluation of the rope that's hanging there in front of him. It does not become faith until the miner takes hold of the rope, lets go of his foothold, swings out over emptiness, and entrusts himself totally to that rope then that's faith. Some of you have been just dangling on the edges. You've been saying, it looks like it works. You heard the testimony of Linda Cordoza with the choir today. Linda was in and out of psychiatric wards. Linda has heard voices and been tantalized by the enemy, driven so medicated at times she could scarcely open her eyes. Yet with a deep desire to know Jesus in fullness and power and through prayer and counsel and through the intercessions of God's people, Linda Cordoza stands here today free from all of those voices and free from all of that oppression and all of that activity that was going on inside of her. She took hold of the rope. She not only said it looked strong enough, she grabbed it and swung out into nothingness and the rope is holding her today. You have to let go of the foothold and completely trust the rope. You never learn to ride a bicycle by looking at one. You only learn how by getting on and crashing a few times. You believe the word. You act upon it. It's this order, facts, faith, feeling, never in reverse. The fact is here. The faith has to come from here. And the feeling is the last thing that you look for in the whole process. Verse 51, as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Hallelujah. What joy. He asked, when did the boy begin to get well? The answer, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. Those servants did not know this was a miracle. They just gave information. 
But the nobleman who took Jesus at his word knew that the healing was no mere coincidence. He knew that at the seventh hour, he had been with Jesus. And this Jesus had said, Go thy way, thy son liveth. Verse 53, the capstone. And the nobleman believed and his whole house. This answers a lot of questions for me, such as, does Jesus answer the prayer of sinners? Hey, his son was healed one day before the nobleman believed. He believed after the miracle that Jesus was the Son of God, the Messiah, the one who could redeem him. He believed, and he went and told his whole house, and his whole house believed. The salvation miracle happened after the physical miracle. God was gracious to him in order to lead he and his whole family into the ark of safety. Isn't God merciful and gracious? <laughs> I just think God will answer any prayer if it's sincere. I don't know what the condition of the heart is. He knows. What difference is the man trusts Christ as Savior or not? If God is working out his plan through that, he can answer that prayer if he wants to. And it's so funny anyway, if God doesn't hear the prayer of sinners, as some people say, how could anybody ever get saved? It's sinners that pray, Jesus, forgive me and come into my heart. So certainly he hears the prayers of sinners. He's that kind of a God. He believed not just for a miracle, but he believed in Jesus himself. And man, let me say this, if it had not been for the father's faith and testimony, the boy would not have been saved, nor would the rest of the family come into faith. What a challenge that is to men. To not let the wife take the spiritual lead or the children take the spiritual lead, but be there at the altar first yourself and be in the prayer meeting yourself and be serving God yourself as a man. Taking the responsibility the nobleman took. Mark 16, 20 says, The Lord wants to confirm his word with signs following. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. You put Jesus to the test, sir, and he'll show you his power. The nobleman discovered that he was a man of his word. When I was a boy, we had some of these uh, pieces of silver. It looked like silver. I'm sure it wasn't real silver. At least I don't know. I didn't think we had anything that was valuable at all in those days. But it tarnished a lot. Does real silver tarnish? Maybe it was. We probably inherited it from somebody. I don't know. But I know this, that on cold winter nights, with the pot-bellied stove going before television and all the other interruptions, my mother would put some of that stuff in front of me with this little jar of white stuff, and, and we'd have to put it on the silver and clean it off, get the tarnishes all off. And I never liked that job, but at least I was warm by the stove. But I thought about that many times in regard to faith 
It's like that with faith. It has to be used to keep from becoming tarnished. Anything you leave sitting will become tarnished, so you have to use it. And if you don't use it, you have to clean it off so it will not look bad. So it is with faith. You have to use it. You have to work it. And that's why we've gathered here today to seek out the Savior like the nobleman did, to trust in Christ like the nobleman did. The man who took Jesus at his word found not only healing for his son, but salvation for himself and his whole family. What are you waiting for? Oh, I want a sign. What more sign do you need than that God cares and that God responds to faith? Vance Havner, in a book by Moody Press titled Vance Havner, Just a Preacher, said, they tell us today that the creation story and the virgin birth and the resurrection are not miracles. They are myths. If I thought all those blessed truths were just myths, I'd be mythified and mistaken and miserable. <laughs> and friend, that's it. It's in the Word, and that's good enough for me. I'd be miserable if I didn't believe that. And I want to strike against unbelief. I want to strike a blow against the inability that some of you have to give up and take Christ at his word. There's salvation for you. There's healing for you. There's power in the baptism in the Holy Spirit for you if you'll get off your high horse and just do it God's way. Take him at his word, just like this nobleman, and say, God, I don't care what you ask me to do. I'll do it because I want the result. I want to know your power. I want to know your grace. I want to know your love. I want to be used by you. The man who took Jesus at his word. Will you bow your heads with me, please? I feel that there are people as our heads are bowed in this service today who want to take Jesus at his word. You've come to church without salvation, without faith in your heart, in Jesus Christ as Lord. I want to pray for you today. Jesus said that anyone that would come to him, he would in no wise cast out. You must believe that, no matter what you've done. As our heads are bowed, I want to ask how many of you would like to be included in the prayer. You want to take Jesus at his word for salvation. You need the forgiveness of sin. Raise your hand right now, as high as you can. Let me see it. And when I see it, then you may put it down. Yes, sir, right here. Thank you in the front. And two, three hands in this same section. And Two hands over here on my right-hand side and two hands over there, farther right. God bless you. And right here in the middle, sir, and to my left I'm looking. How about on this side, my left? Hands over here as I look in this direction. Raise them up. Then you may put them down as soon as I've seen them. In the balcony I see two, three hands up there, four hands. Thank you up there in the balcony. How many more? Anywhere in the sanctuary. Thank you back there, ma'am, on the right. Thank you back by the wall in this rear section. 
I want to take Jesus at his word. This is a day you need to cross over the line. It's no day to be lagging behind, doubting and wondering and waiting for some kind of sign. It's a day to take Jesus at his word. Just get up and do something about your need. How many others of you, you may have found Christ before and Yet there are things in your life you know you need to deal with. There's a need of healing or the baptism in the Holy Spirit, spiritual power, whatever. Raise your hand. Take that step at least this morning and raise your hand and say, I'm a candidate for more of God. God knows what I'm raising my hand for. Lift it up right now throughout this sanctuary. Take Jesus in his word. Yes, yes. Oh, God bless you. Many of you are raising your hand. Do what the nobleman did. Go at Jesus' word and see what he will do. Now, Lord, as our heads are bowed and as we are in prayer together, may all over the sanctuary the miracle happen, the miracle of God's grace, God's power, God's love. Come into these lives who said by raising a hand, I need Jesus today. I want Jesus today. Forgive of sin, bring life and hope and peace. And others who have raised their hands saying, I have a need, God knows my need. Lord, would you minister to them? May they take you at your word. May they get up and do something about it today. In Jesus' name, may they do it. I thank you for it. Hallelujah. I lift them to you in prayer. And thank you for the miracle. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us stand together, please, everyone.